for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you've enjoyed this sermon from our series entitled The Advent. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit the website cbcsavannah.com. Father, I thank you that your son has promised that he will be with us even to the ends of the age. We'll see that he promises the same to our character today that we'll look at. We, Lord, we need you. Um, we are desperate for you. We are grateful that we with confidence can approach your throne of grace because of what your son has done. Uh, we stand in his righteousness. We stand in his holiness. We stand in his goodness and not in our own. And so I ask once again, please help me, because uh, I, like Elizabeth will see, says, who am I um, that I should be called to do such a great thing, to, t- to talk of you and to preach of you? I, I'm not worthy, I'm not deserving, and so I am in need of grace. So just please help me. Uh, please use the words of Scripture and, and, and your spirit to fill me, empower me to to build up your church, Lord Jesus, so that we are just worshipers, so that we are joyful, so that we celebrate this season the way you would have us. And so that is a work of your spirit. That was something you must do. And so please do that despite me this morning. Um, May your church just have peace and joy and hope and love because of you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. All right, we are in our second week of the Advent series. Uh, one of the things about the holidays, just one of many things that I love, is the same shows, the same movies come on every year, right? And so Rudolph, got to watch Rudolph this week, love Rudolph. Charlie Brown Christmas, how many times watched that show? Like seven times over the holidays. And there's just movies that... This time of year, they come on, and what do we do? We watch them. Home Alone, great Christmas flick. Miracle on 34th Street, some of you already watched it, right? It's a Wonderful Life. A Christmas Story will be on for 48 hours straight uh, in the next couple weeks, right? Elf, great Christmas film. Die Hard, great Christmas film. (laughs) (laughs) But every year these movies come on, These shows come on, and it doesn't matter how many times we've seen them. We watch them. We enjoy them. I mean, you know, you know what's going to happen. You know Clarence gets his wings, right? You know that Ralphie is going to shoot his eye out. You know that that little Christmas tree that is like one stick is somehow miraculously going to turn into this beautiful Christmas tree. And that Linus is going to explain the true meaning of Christmas. Yet we watch them and we love them. Why? Because they're great stories. They're great stories. We're in our second week of Advent, as I said. And we are looking at some of these great stories that we come back to every year. And the temptation is sometimes, yeah, I've heard that before. I know that. And what I really want for us as a church is to to don't, don't just get bored with, yeah, I know that. Don't, don't, uh, I, I'm an expert. I've heard this sermon 60 times. I know all about Mary and Joseph, angels, shepherds, magi. I got, the, got it. 
what we've been doing and, and we're going to do for the next two weeks after today, we're just looking at one character every week during this Advent season. So last week we looked at Zechariah and we saw this great dude who had a little hiccup in his faith. Right? He's been a faithful priest his whole life. An angel shows up at the high point of his ministry and he has that hiccup and he's like, the angel says, you've been praying or you prayed 40 years ago for a baby and now you're 78 and you're going to have that baby. And he's like, what? no way. And if I was Angel Gabriel, I'd be like, do you see these wings? I'm on fire and you doubt me? And so he's mute for nine months and and after the baby's born, he redeems himself and he names his son John in faith. But we looked at him last week. We're going to look at a new person today as we continue in the narrative in Luke chapter 1. Um, and, and it's a person who is greatly misunderstood, a person who is, is there's, there's false theology all around this person. But this person is a great, great model for us as a church. To just look at how, how they respond to the advent, to the coming, how, how, how it changes their life, but at the same time, we can, we can be encouraged by the truth. And so the person we're going to look at today is Mary, sweet Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so, and, and here's what we're going to do. It, really a lot of text we're going to cover. I'm just going to read through the narrative and I'm going to make some highlights and points, make some explanations, um, maybe have an application here or there. I, there's not like four points on how to be like Mary. All right, so if you want to be like Mary, I don't want to be a teenage girl anyway, but... I don't have four points for that, but I do have just kind of just reveling in the story because my goal for us as a church this Advent season, it's just like when we gather the family on the couch and we all watch Miracle on 34th Street and we just enjoy the story. We know it's going to happen, but we enjoy it anyway. This is, this is our family. We're kind of joining in on the couch, right? You got your coffee in your hand and we just together can share the story again. And just let it put a smile on your face. Learn a little bit, but just enjoy the story. That's kind of where we want to go. All right, so let's start. Verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. That's a loaded two verses. Okay, just loaded. In the sixth month, it's not June, the sixth month. It's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Okay, we talked about her last week. She's a 70-something-year-old lady who's pregnant. And it's the sixth month of her pregnancy. And in that sixth month, Gabriel is sent. Now, I know if you read all just the Christmas narratives, you get this idea in the Bible that angels are just popping up, like David said last week. But that is not the case, okay? Angels are rare, and Gabriel... Of all angels is rare. This is not some lower level angel that's still trying to earn his wings. This is Gabriel. He says to Zechariah, I stand in the presence of God. And notice it says he was sent from God. Now, we kind of breeze through that, but, but I want you to think about that for a little bit. Here's an angel. He stands in the presence of God. He is sent from God. As Christians, we believe that there is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, yet there is one God. It's a mystery. It's profound, but it's, it's what Scripture teaches. But I want you to understand this just a little bit deeper. Go under the surface just a little bit. God the Holy Spirit is spirit. He is not seen. God the Father, the Scripture teaches, is not seen either. He is spirit. 
There's only one member of the Trinity that is ever seen. When you see Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, and he goes into heaven, and there is, is God sitting on a throne, and he falls down, and the angels saying, holy, 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 and that, that whole section, who is he seeing? He is seeing a pre-incarnate, a pre-Bethlehem Jesus. Okay, that's who he's seeing, and we know that from John 12, because John says, he saw me. That's what Jesus says. He saw my glory. So when, when it says Gabriel is sent from God, yes, the Trinity is involved, but I want you to understand, Gabriel is standing next to who? Jesus, before Bethlehem. And, and Jesus sends Gabriel where? To his mom. Wouldn't you love to be part of that conversation? Just to hear it? Can you imagine what, what the Lord Jesus tells him? Okay, Gabriel, it's going to be my mom. She's only like 15 years old, estimates. I know you like showing up and scaring people to death, but this is my mama. Be gentle, right? And so Gabriel is sent to a town called what? Nazareth. And I wonder if in the back of Gabriel's mind, he's thinking, Nazareth. That's nasty in Nazareth. Everyone has that little city you grew up wherever it is, and there was that right side of the tracks, wrong side of the tracks. For me, I grew up in Wayne and Bridgeport is across the tracks, right? Same high school, kind of that little, this is Nazareth. Nazareth is the wrong side of the tracks. So much so that when Philip, one of the apostles, hears that Jesus comes out of Nazareth, what does he say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And so this is not Aspen, country town on the hill. Oh, Nazareth. This is uh, Nazareth. That's where she's from. He sends it to a virgin who is betrothed. She's engaged to a man named Joseph. Engagement in that culture was as solid as marriage. To end the engagement, it wasn't like, hey, i got to return this to Zales. To end an engagement was I had to actually get a certificate of divorce. That's how solid it was. It was usually about a year period of betrothal. The man would, would go and he'd, he'd propose to the, to the lady's father. And then there would be this whole year where he had to go work and save up money for a dowry and all these things, Right? He had to go pre prepare a house so that he could bring this wife. And so that's what's going on. He, she is engaged. It is a legal deal. She's just waiting for Joseph. And it highlights the fact that she is a virgin. Right? Is that significant? Huge. Huge. Right? And, and multiple reasons why. I could preach a whole sermon on it. But here, here's biggies. Number one, the very first prophecy of Messiah in all the Bible, Genesis 3, says that the seed of a woman would crush the head of a serpent, right? And, and, you know, they didn't understand the fullness of that back in Genesis, but by the time the New Testament is written in the Revelation of Christ, it's very clear the seed of a woman is Mary. It's very unusual language. It's usually the seed of a man, and there it's a seed of a woman. And then we see later on, especially when you unpack Romans and all these things, where do you get your sin nature? You get your sin nature from your daddy, and he got it from his daddy, and he got it from his daddy, he got it from his daddy, all the way back to Adam, well, if Jesus is going to be Messiah, if he's going to be man, but he's going to be perfect, he has to somehow get around that human father. He can't have a physical daddy because if he does, he's got the sin nature of Adam. And so what happens? A virgin is, 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 is chosen and he is conceived of a virgin. So he can be man, but at the same time, he can be perfect. And so there's huge implications. So if you ever hear, oh, people say, oh, virgin birth, that doesn't really matter. No big deal. Absolutely matters. Absolutely. You take that away, you take a sinless Christ away. And so there's this, this 
young gal, 15, 16 years old. She is of the house of David. Is that important? Absolutely, because when God promised Messiah, it would be the seed of a woman. It would be descendant of Abraham. It would be a descendant of Isaac. It would be descendant of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. It would be a descendant of Judah. It would be a descendant of David. That was Messiah. So this is just, a, these two verses, I know it's a lot, just rich. Rich with biblical truth. But here she is, Mary, 15, betrothed, angel, sent. What happens? Woo! Man, we're going to sing that again in the middle of the sermon. <laughs> I guess not. You, you guys take care of that. I'll just read my text, all right? Next verse. Verse 28. And he came to her. And notice the language. He came to her. Okay, usually when an angel shows up, he appears. I think he comes in gently. He came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. He says, greetings, literally, O graced one. The word favored means grace. Mary, understand this. Mary is a recipient of grace. She is not a bestower of grace. She needs grace just like you need grace. And she is not, she is not chosen. Because God's not looking around thinking, I need a good girl. There's one in Nazareth. That's not how it worked. She is chosen because of grace. And that's it. Was she sweet? Yes. Was she faithful? Yes. But that's not why. She was graced. God chose her. And he says, the Lord has chosen you. You are favored. The Lord is with you. Right now, Yahweh is with you. And her response is like Zechariah. She's greatly troubled. She's afraid. And she's trying to discern what kind of greeting is this? Favored one? God is with me. Does does he know we're in Nazareth? Does he know who I am? I'm a nobody. Just a single gal engaged to a poor dude. I mean, we're going to be living on love for a while. I mean, I'm a nobody, right? But he knows who she is. The angel said, don't be afraid, Mary. He knows her name. Mary, I know who you are. You have found favor. You found, same word, grace. And here's the Grace. Verse 31, behold, you will conceive in your womb, you'll bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus is a very common name in those days. All right, it's not rare. There's probably a kid on every block named Jesus because it's the, it's the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua. It just means Yahweh saves. So very common name. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give to him his throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom of his kingdom will there be no end. He may have a common name, but he is not a common child. This is messianic language. He is the Christ. He's the Messiah. And her response is what any other 15-year-old might say. She says, how, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And, and her question is not like Zachariah's question. Remember, Zechariah is like, how do I know this is going to happen? He's thinking, I want a sign. Give me a sign, Gabriel. I don't know. That's not her question. Her question is, how, how is this physically possible? I mean, I've taken, I've taken health. It's, it's not, this is not how it works, right? And so hers is just, I don't understand. Remember, angels are not normal. God hasn't spoken for 400 years. Miracles are not commonplace, and so he answers her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called 
holy, the Son of God. And, and, and she doesn't want a sign, but she gets one, right? Zechariah wants a sign, gets the muteness. She doesn't want a sign, she gets one. Your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age has conceived a sign. That's her sign. This is the sixth month for her who is called barren. And here's the key to it all. You want to know, Mary, how this is going to happen? You want to know how? Because nothing will be impossible with God. That's why. And here's what I want you guys to see. Look at her response. And think about how you would respond. Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed. 15-year-old girl, y'all. Look around. We got some 15-year-olds in here. 16-ish. 9th, 10th grade. It's, it's, it's dumbfounding. How would you respond? And I know, I know most of us, oh, the Holy Spirit would come upon me and the angel, I would say yes. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. You know how I know? One of the most godly guys in that day, Zechariah, knows the Bible, studies the Bible, works at the church. He's the pastor. When God shows up to him and says, this is going to happen, what does he say? No way. So don't tell me. You would be, yes, may the angel do it. I mean, don't tell me that. This is a remarkable young woman. And she may be young, but she's not ignorant. She knows the implications here. Do you know the implications of, of what he's saying? This means scandal in Nazareth. The tabloids are going to go nuts with this. What are her parents going to think? You think they're going to buy the whole angel routine? No, <laughs> it was the angel. Yeah, I, I, it makes me wonder. I don't know for sure. But in that culture, if a young gal was pregnant outside of marriage, I can tell you what would have happened. The Old Testament law says she could be stoned. But I wonder if that's why we never hear about Grandma and Grandpa Joseph and Mary, Mary's mama. Where's Nana? There's no Nana in the story. I wonder if that's because she was disowned. It's possible. We don't know for sure. But what is Joseph going to think? Is he going to buy the angel routine? I mean, if, she, if Joseph doesn't marry her... No one's going to. There's no ChristianMingle.com, y'all. <laughs> She's got no hope. And we actually know what Joseph was going to do. What was Joseph going to do according to Matthew? He was going to divorce her. That's what his plan was. He was going to do it quietly because he was a nice guy. But he was going to divorce her until Gabriel says, stop. She's not lying about the angel. It was me. I mean, and so then, but this also means, you know what this means? It means no wedding. It means no celebration. It means no feast. It means no honeymoon. She knows this. And what does she say? Let it be to me. It's remarkable. It's, it's remarkable. And, and let me just give you two, two kind of quick takeaways from this. Here's the first one. Number one is this, is that faith pleases God. In fact, Hebrews teaches us without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith pleases God. And where does her faith come from? It's very simple and it's right there in the text. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. What does she say? Let it be according to your word. And actually in the Greek text, there's a little play on words in verse 37 where it says nothing is impossible. Literally the Greek is all words are not impossible. Right? Right? It, 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 he's highlighting, she believes God's 
word and her faith causes her to act. That's what faith is. When you believe something so that it, it, it responds in action. That's her. And sometimes, y'all, when you believe God and you act, things get harder. Right? I know we don't like to talk about that, but it does. It puts you in a difficult position. Obedience sometimes puts you in a difficult position. So when you're in class and the guy next to you says, hey, dude, what's number three in the test? You have a choice at that point. Am I going to be truthful and honest and believe God and that, that God honors truth? Or am I going to worry about, if I don't give him the answer, what's he going to do? He's going to tell all his boys that I'm going to be ostracized and no one's going to like me. I got a choice. When, when the, there's a relationship and then one person in a relationship is, is pushing the boundaries of purity. Well, what happens if I take a stand and I believe God and that purity is good and, that, and I need to be this way? I might lose him. I might lose her. I and mean, that might be, maybe I don't get married. Maybe I don't, right? It could get harder. The boss asked me to do something that's unethical, but everyone does it in the office. I might lose my job. I'm never going to get the raise. Sometimes faith makes things more difficult. And I, don't, I know we don't like that because here we have a little bit of prosperity theology in our hearts. Here's sometimes what we think. If I do good, then God ought to do good to me. Right? Isn't that what we think? And if I do bad, God ought to do bad. God does good things to good people, bad things to bad people. That's not the way it works sometimes. It actually, Mary is in, a, is in obedience and things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. Do you know what's next on her agenda? She's got she's to go out of town because she's going to be pregnant and everyone's going to be talking about her. She comes back, scandal. Joseph, the one she loves, is going to try to divorce her. Fortunately, the angel stops her. But then she's, got, she's nine months pregnant. She's got to get on a donkey or walk to Bethlehem. That's going to be a fun trip. And then she goes to Bethlehem and she doesn't even, they don't even move back to Nazareth because Nazareth people are talking. So they stay in Bethlehem. But then, less than two years later, they got to run to Egypt because the baby's life is in danger. So they got to go to a completely different place. Then they come back, and in her entire life, she's called a tramp. And Jesus is 33 years old. And in his ministry, they're like, yeah, your mom's a tramp. She, she never lives this down. And then one day, she's going to have to look at her son on a cross. I mean, it gets harder for her. But what she has is the big view. God is doing something. I'm going to believe that he is good, right? And I love the fact, and this is great encouragement. You're the 12-year-old girl. You're the 84-year-old dude. Age has nothing to do with faith. Isn't that great? 15, 16-year-old girl, amazing faith. Amazing faith. Right? That's the first takeaway. Second takeaway is this, and it's real quick, but it's, it's related to the first, is that you can be smack dab in the middle of God's perfect will and things can be a wreck. And now, again, we don't think that. We think, God, I do good. Things should be good. I do bad. Things should be bad. I mean, no one it looks from this from the external and says, yeah, this is a good thing. This, this is a God thing. Yeah, this is exactly God's will. They're probably thinking, no way this is God's will. But the reality is, this is God's will, and it has been from before the foundation of the world. This is how God chose it to be. And we would never choose it that way. Right? That's, that's what he does. And if, if your life is a mess and you're wrestling with that and you have no clue where to turn or, you know, the company's downsized or the kid is wayward or the cancer has spread, the words of the angel to Mary are words you need to hear this morning. Two, two, two things. Number one, the Lord is with you. 
And number two, nothing is impossible with God. God moves through the chaos, and he is in Mary's life, right? He is in Mary's life. Let's continue in their text, continue the story, because God is going to bring these two promised miracle babies together. And so Mary is going to head out to go visit her relative Elizabeth, who lives, by the way, about 100 miles away. And so she's going to get on the road 100 miles in the desert as a teenager. That's another story, right? But look what happens. Verse 39, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, I want you to picture this now, because this is truly amazing. Elizabeth knows what? Nothing. She doesn't know anything. She doesn't have like a postcard, hey, I'm coming to visit. She's not looking out over the field and she sees Mary coming. I picture her, she's 70s, she's, she's well past childbearing. She's like my, I just picture her like my grandmother who just like, you know, walked down the house and wearing her apron and she was humming and singing and she's all excited because she got a baby and she's sweeping and, you know, getting everything. That, that's Elizabeth. And Mary comes in. And, and she greets her. Now, what she says, maybe she says, Elizabeth. Maybe she says, Shalom, whatever it is. But at the, at the sound of her voice, when those airwaves leave Mary and they hit Elizabeth's ears, at the same time, they're hitting another pair of ears in her womb. And that six-month-old baby, that if you've seen a picture of a six-month-old baby, what do they look like? They look like this. Okay, a lot smaller. All right, but that's what they're doing. When that, that voice of that six-month-old baby hits the, the little eardrums of that little baby inside Elizabeth's tummy, a miracle happens. What does he do? He leaps. He jumps for joy. He does the triple lindy inside her womb. And remember, this is a voice of someone th- she's never heard. This is not like the older sister, like, I can't wait to see baby brother. This is not that. This is a woman she has never met. She's never even been 100 miles from Mary. First time, what does the baby do? It jumps, it leaps inside the womb. It's a miracle. And this baby in her womb, this, this six-month-old baby, has one point in life, one purpose. His job is to point people to Messiah. And he can't do it right now with his mouth because he's still inside. He could be yelling and no one can hear nothing. So he does the only thing he can do to point people to Messiah. He jumps and he leaps. And, and Elizabeth has unbelievable clarity. Remember, she knows what? Nothing. She, doesn't even, she hasn't been told by Mary she's pregnant. Mary didn't come in. Oh, Elizabeth, I'm pregnant. I'm registered at Target. Can you have a shower for me? She doesn't do that. What, she just comes in and says, hello. And what does Elizabeth say? Verse 41. Oh, I already have it up. When, and she hears the greeting. The baby leaped, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry. She actually yells. The Greek text says she yells out loud. It's redundant in the English, so they kind of translate it softly. But she yells at the top of her lungs, blessed are you. <laughs> right? She just starts screaming. You're blessed. Your baby is blessed. Now, if your single cousin who's 16 shows up at your house pregnant and not married, you're not going to say she's blessed. You say, girl, you in trouble. But she says, 
you are blessed. Your baby is blessed. She has unbelievable clarity here because she knows who this baby is. Verse 43, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That's, that is a remarkable statement. Mary, the baby that you haven't even told me about yet, that's only this big right now, is my Lord, is my God. Mary, I mean, Elizabeth becomes the first person in the New Testament to worship Jesus. He's, all, he's this big, and he's already being worshiped. I mean, that's amazing implications. And, and she's amazed, and she is screaming, and Mary is amazed too. Mary's a, she's going to bust out in song right now. Mary's like, oh, she all of a sudden, she starts singing. And she sings this song, it's called the Magnificat. We'll look at it in a minute. Magnificent is, is just the, the Latin words for my, uh, my soul magnifies. And so it has become unofficial. It's a song. If you look in your scripture, a uh, copy of the Bible, it's a different text type. It's because it has rhythm and it has meter. And it, it's like a New Testament psalm is what it is. It's where she just praises God. But these two women are amazed that God has done something. And as a church... We cannot lose the amazement of the incarnation. This is the greatest miracle in the Bible except for the resurrection right here. This is where God becomes man, where God comes to us, where God remembers us. And it's something the church ought to marvel at because without it, there is no peace on earth. There is no goodwill to men without the incarnation. And so here's Mary. Her life is rocked. Her future is, is who knows, and she sings a song. And really, it's just a song about God and what he's done. And I'm just going to walk through it quickly and just highlight. Because what she does is she just, she just, she just she's like talking about God and how great he is. And this is, this is what he is. This is what he is. This is what he is. And she just gives all these characteristics of God. And let me just kind of walk through it and just highlight some of them to you. And to see this little girl who has this great understanding of his bigness of God. She says in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She calls him Lord. He is sovereign. Yes, my life's a wreck right now. Yes, my future is, is, is questionable. But God is sovereign. He's going to feed me. He's going to care for me. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You hear this? Mary needs a Savior. Mary is not a co-redemptress. She has no role at all in salvation. She bore the Christ, yes. But she does not save sins. She does not erase sins. She does not answer prayer. She is a saint like you. At one point in her life, she was going to stand there and look at her son nailed to a cross for her sins. She was not perfect. She was a sweet girl. She had faith. But she was a sinner just like you and me. And she needed a savior. And the, the kind of funny thing is, for her salvation, she had to believe in her son. Think about that. She had to put her faith in her son for the forgiveness of her sins. That's pretty amazing. But she needs a savior, just like me and you. And she highlights God as my savior. Verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And they do. And they should. 
She is blessed. She got to have the Christ, but not because she was any holier than anyone else. She just was the mother of God. It's a special, unique deal for her. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy in his name. Three things just right there. Number one, God is mighty. He is strong. There's nothing impossible for him. He sits on his throne. He rules. He is a personal God. Notice he has done great things for me. And I'm a nobody. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a servant. I'm, I'm from Nazareth. I'm 15. And he has done great things. Have you thought about that? That this, this sovereign, mighty God does great things? I was just reminded of this yesterday. Just, just afresh. I, we often will hide the iPod of my oldest child so that he doesn't use it, right? It's just what parents do of teenagers. That's what we do. We hide your stuff. The problem is, when we hit 40, we forget where we hide things. <laughs> and so I had hit his iPod. It was, you know, Thanksgiving break was over. All right, no technology until the end of this you know, quarter or whatever. Problem is, I forgot where I put it. And I'm like, I have all these usual spots, but I can't remember them all anymore. And so I'm just looking. I'm, I'm just trying to find. I'm looking in drawers. I'm looking on top of things. I'm looking in my back. I cannot feel. I'm searching all over. And so finally, I'm standing in front of the bookshelf yesterday, one of my bookshelves. And I just pray, Lord, I, just help me to find. Just help me to know where this thing is, please. It's, you know, it's my son's. I feel bad. I've lost this thing. It's his. He paid for it. Please help me. And as I say almost amen, I look up, and there behind a picture is the iPod. And I'm thinking, first thing I'm thinking is, why did I put it there? <laughs> but the second thing, I immediately went to this verse. He has done great things. You say, that's not that great of a thing. It's a great thing when the sovereign of the universe cares enough about my son's iPod that he answers my prayer to find it. That is a great thing for me, that he hears that kind of prayer, how great and how personal. And she's amazed. He's a personal God. He is a holy, look at it, holy is his name. Holy just, just means he's separate. He is distinct. And even though he's distinct and separate, he becomes one of us so that he could die for us. Next part, his mercy is for those who fear him. He's a God of mercy. For how long? From generation to generation. How many of you, you're just, you've had it up to here with somebody. You're like, done. I'm sick of them. These childrens, that neighbor, that employee, that boss, that customer, I'm done. I'm to here. God doesn't get up to here. From generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. He shows mercy. He shows mercy. Right? He has shown his strength with his arm. He's mighty. Again, he's strong. He's powerful. He's awe-inspiring. Who is his mercy for? Those who fear him. Those who revere him. Why? Because he's an awe-inspiring God. This is the mighty God. He is sovereign. Look at it says. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He reads the thoughts of the proud. He knows they think they're all that and then some. And he scatters them. I mean, just think about all. He's all inspiring. He's powerful. He's sovereign. Next verse. He's brought down the mighty from the thrones. He exalted the humble. He is, he's just. He's, he's just. He's a just God. No one's going to get away with it. They may think they are, but no one's getting away with anything. He will deal with it. He is just. 
And these are some pretty big words, by the way, from a 15-year-old from Nazareth when Rome is in power and Caesar is on the throne. What she's saying is Caesar just sits on a little throne. My God sits on a big throne. He is just. He is generous. He fills the hungry with good. The rich he has sent away empty. He gives good things. He meets needs. Every good and perfect thing is from him. And the last thing, he has served He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. He is faithful. What did he promise Abraham? And you, all the nations of the world, will be blessed. And your son, Isaac, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And his son, Jacob. And his son, Judah. And his son, David. And his son, Jesus. He kept his promise. And he always does. Because he's faithful. And then he is eternal. It's to Abraham and his offspring forever. When does his mercy run out? When does his goodness run out? Never. I mean, this is an, that's just a quick run through, y'all. This is an amazing song. She highlights his, his, he's the Lord, he is sovereign, he is savior, he is mighty, he is personal, he is holy, he's merciful, he's all-inspiring, he's powerful, he's just, he's generous, he's faithful, he's eternal. That's a great song. All from a 15-year-old. Right? And, and here, as we kind of close, just let me highlight just two, two more takeaways, just from the whole narrative. Number one is this, that Elizabeth and Mary especially are just models of humility. They're, I mean, they are models of what it means to be humble. And it's because they have a big view of God. Because if you have a big view of God, you'll have an accurate view of self. And so what does Elizabeth say? Who am I? that the mother of my Lord should come to me? If you think about it from an earthly perspective and even a Christian perspective, Elizabeth is a pretty big deal. How many 75-year-old women you know have babies? It's pretty big stuff. How many, how many of them are called the greatest person in, by Jesus himself? I mean, Jesus says, John the Baptist, he was the greatest of all the Old Testament saints. I mean, this could have really, if you think about it, turned Elizabeth into the ultimate soccer mom or soccer grandma. My son is going to wear leather everywhere he goes. And he is going to eat bugs and he's going to eat honey and he is going to be the greatest. It could have turned her into that way. Instead, she says, who am I? If Mary, Mary could have said, you know, I'm going to have God as my son. What does she say? He has done great things. I am the servant of the Lord. And, and her song, the theme of her song is that God exalts the humble and he crushes the proud. And if you don't have a big view of God, and if you have a big view of yourself, you will not be amazed at this. This will just be another story and another Christmas, and isn't that sweet? But if you see yourself in light of the greatness of God... You'll see the goodness of God. Because the gospel, y'all, and Mary highlights this, the gospel is for the poor. Not just the poor financially. Those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. The gospel is for the hungry. Not those who want steak, but those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be satisfied. Like, if, you, if you're like Mr. Religious Person, you come in here, well, yeah, I'm a good person. And, and you're like the Pharisee that says, well, I thank God I'm not like that guy. Then you have a problem with Jesus. Because Jesus 
will crush the proud. And this Jesus is a threat to your little kingdom, right? He scatters the thoughts of the proud. It's only those who have a big view of God who come with humility and who are amazed. And so one of the lessons of of the text is look at the great things God has done. Don't look at you. Look at, look at the greatness of God. And the second takeaway is this, and this is common not only through this text, but through the Gospels as a whole, is the blessing of Christmas and the blessing of Christ is for who? Those who believe. In fact, it's not that Mary is so blessed because she gets to have the baby. That is true. But what does Elizabeth tell her in verse 45? Blessed is she who believed that there will be a fulfillment. Mary, you were blessed because you believed God. That's why she's blessed. Why are you blessed if you believe? And, and belief is not just intellectual. I believe about, there was a, yeah, there was a Jesus and there was a manger and there was a donkey. Actually, the donkey is never mentioned. We just make the donkey there. There was a, there was a manger. There was a shepherd. There was a magi. It's not an intellectual ascent. It is, I orient my life around this person. I, like Elizabeth, will worship this person. I, like Mary, will follow this person. That is where the blessing is. In fact, Jesus later in his ministry, there's a sweet lady after he preaches this sermon and stands up and says, blessed, are you, blessed is your mama. Blessed is the womb that bore you. And she's just being sweet and saying, man, your mama is a lucky woman. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Blessed are those who hear my word and do it, i.e. those who follow me. That's where the blessing is. Because this babe doesn't stay a babe. He will, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And the king, his kingdom will be no end. That's who's coming. That's what Advent's about. And that's why peace, this is the week we celebrate peace and we think about it a little bit. That's why peace with God is so big. That's why there's peace on earth, because we have peace with God. Why? Because Jesus became a man, because he died on a cross. He took the punishment you deserve so that you could have peace with God. And it is not enough to say, oh, I like singing Christmas carols, and I like seeing Ralphie shoot his eye out. Isn't it great? It's belief in It's turning from my sin and belief in what Christ has done. This baby would one day take on the sin of the world and he would rise again. That's what this is about. That's why we celebrate. That is great things he has done. And so ask yourself, as we kind of close and as we sing, is your life oriented around this child who grows into this king? Do you listen to him? Do you pursue him? Do you love him? I mean, think about it. Isn't it amazing that God desires for us to love him? I mean, not just in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. He wants your love. And he has demonstrated his love and that while we were sinners, Christ died, and now he wants it back. So let's express our love and our amazement as we worship, as we sing as we rejoice in this God who became man. Why don't you stand with me and we'll pray and we'll worship.